in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1 through to 3. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's read it together. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Father, this morning we just pray for your help. Lord, as we come to your word, we are asking for the anointing, for the Holy Ghost, for the power of God to come upon your word. Lord, we know it's not by might, or strength, but it is by your Spirit. Lord, we pray for your word that is opened and proclaimed across this land, across these nations this morning. We pray, Lord, there be a mighty unction upon your servants. We pray that your word would be anointed and go forth, not only in word only, but in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. So Lord, even here this morning, we pray that you would speak to us and open our ears. Lord, open our eyes. Lord, we pray you'd illuminate our understanding. Lord, with the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, would you baptize us and endue every one of us. Lord, with the power of the Holy Ghost, and would your name be lifted up, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We take your seat this morning. Praise the Lord. It's good to be here in God's house. I want to speak on this very well-known uh, passage this morning, the voice the voice of one crying. <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a lot of voices in, <clears throat> in the day that we're living in, and we need to hear his voice. We need to hear the voice of the Lord. We need to hear his voice speak personally, corporately, into each of our lives. What a day. What a day we're living in. <clears throat> Excuse me. What an hour that we have come to. And we need we need to hear his voice. We really need. I, I can't under overestimate that or underestimate. I just know in the depth I believe you'll feel the same. We need to hear God. We need to hear God speak. We need to hear a a word from the throne into each of our hearts. We know it's a world, we said regularly, it's just an absolute turmoil. But there is a voice. There is a voice. John comes in Matthew chapter 3 as the great forerunner of the Lord with that voice. In a wilderness, it's, it's, it's quite unique. It wasn't in the mainstream. It wasn't in the main run of things. It wasn't in the main religious system and the temple and all its activity and all its outward. This voice was a very unique voice. It did not fit the mainstream, did not fit the, the norm. It was a voice that came crying in the wilderness. He was a unique individual, uh, odd in some ways in his dress and his, and his attire and his diet. There's so many things about John he just did not fit the religious norm. And there was a voice that came crying as a forerunner of Christ in his earthly ministry, that it was about to begin that wonderful three-year ministry before he would go to the cross to die. That was his purpose of coming. But this introduction to Jesus, this forerunner, was a voice. It was simply a voice. His cry was that he would decrease and that Christ would increase 
He was a burning, he was a shining light. He was a man that was full of the Holy Ghost. There was nothing really about him that in, in the worldly terms of that hour or in the religious terms of that hour that there was nothing about him that you would say that he has all the great credentials for ministry as we know it. But he was a man that was sent of God. He was a man that was full of God. He was a man that was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was a man that had the word of the Lord. He had the word of the Lord. He had what God wanted to say and the cry came. He was fulfilling prophecy, of course. You find that prophecy over in uh, Malachi chapter 3, the last book of the Old Testament. And the word of the Lord comes and says, Behold, I will send my messenger. He shall uh, prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. And here is the messenger of the Lord. John the baptizer comes, a man, again, unique in many ways, but he comes, he simply, it just tells us here, he's just a voice. He was a voice that was crying in the wilderness, full of the Holy Ghost, and the spirit of Elijah <clears throat> was upon him. And if you turn into Malachi, uh, just to the last chapter there, uh, Malachi chapter 4, sorry, and you know, the, 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 the book ends, we've already been introduced and the prophecy has come concerning uh, John. And then it says in Malachi uh, 4 and verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and the terrible day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers. Lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So now Malachi chapter 3 has introduced us to a prophecy concerning the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ and his earthly ministry. But here we find in Malachi 4 that there is the sending of Elijah the prophet before, before the great and the dreadful day of the Lord. Now we know that the great and the dreadful day of the Lord is speaking of the day of his wrath. If you turn over for a second in the Revelation chapter 6, we're reading here of the seals in the book of Revelation that are broken and we come to the sixth seal. And the sixth seal ties in very clearly with the end times of what Christ has told us in Matthew 24 of what will happen. You see the similarities in the language. In verse 12, it simply says, And I beheld, and when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black. This language is familiar to us as sackcloth of hair. The moon became as blood. The stars of heaven fell onto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed. We're seeing here the second coming of Christ. The rapture of the church coming for his bride. And it says here that the heaven departs as a scroll when it is rolled together. Every mountain and island were moved out of their places. The kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the chief captains, the mighty men, even the bondmen, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits upon the throne and from the wrath, the wrath of the Lamb. And then verse 17 ties 
uh, perfectly with Malachi 4 and verse 5. He says, For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able, who will be able to stand? Malachi tells us here that before the great and the dreadful day of the Lord, that there is the sending of Elijah. We know that John came, Jesus told us, in the spirit of Elijah. When he's telling us that Elijah will come, of course you'll understand that this is a spiritual application. That in the last days prior to the great and the dreadful day of the Lord, which you know many might be thinking about what's happening next Sunday, but friends, this morning I woke up and the Lord says, None of us may not none of us may be here next Sunday. That's how close we are to the coming of the Lord. We may not be here for this evening's service. And so we have today, and this is the day that the Lord has made. And we'll rejoice and be glad in it. So we see here this great and dreadful day, and the spirit, there's Elijah the prophet comes. Now this is speaking, this is speaking uniquely of a prophetic ministry that is not singularly to an individual. This is a voice that comes prior to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ that declares the coming of the Lord, that makes the people ready, that declares that Christ is coming. And we know that that spirit of Elijah is simply speaking not of Elijah in that sense, it's speaking of the Holy Ghost that was upon him. The power of the Spirit of God will come upon a people, men, women, doesn't matter, uh, young or old, boys or girls, but those that are seeking God, want to stand for Him in the final moments of time, will receive an endowment of power, the Spirit of Elijah, to speak forth, Speak forth prophetically, that simply is a twofold thing, forth-telling and foretelling of the events that are about to happen, but also proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom that people must get saved before it's forever too late. Comes with a, an endowment of power for the proclamation of this uh, specific uh, prophetic ministry. And I believe that we are right in the middle of that time that God is looking to pour out His Spirit upon men and women, young people, that want to stand for Jesus and be His voice. In 2 Kings chapter 2, we read there that Elisha, who desired a double portion of that Spirit, it says that in 2 Kings 2 and verse 12, that, you know, he followed him. Elijah had promised him if he sees him go that he would receive that double portion of his spirit. In 2 Kings 2 and 14, and Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father. We see here uh, Elijah being taken up, the chariot of Israel, the horsemen thereof, and he seen him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and he rent them in two pieces and all everything of himself, everything of him and who he was and everything of up to that time. Elisha simply is saying by the rending of his clothes, this is it. I'm, I'm, I'm finished with everything of what I am and everything of what I have been and everything even of what I possibly know of my own, uh, as it were, religious experience and ministry. But now I'm rending my clothes and I want a fresh double uh, portion of the anointing of the Spirit of God. And he took up the mantle of Elijah and went back and he stood by the bank of the Jordan, verse 14, and he 
It says there that he took the mantle of Elijah the felon and smote the waters. And this is what he said. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Where is he in all of this? Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And it says, and when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither. And Elisha, he went in to the ministry, that prophetic ministry that God had purposed him for. There is a, there is a prophetic empowerment that God wants to endue upon his people to the church in these last days before the great and the dreadful day of the Lord. It often comes, if you take time to look at it and to study it, but this, this ministry is often, often comes not when everything's on the mountaintop, but actually comes when everything is going south. It's a very unique thing. A spiritual prophetic empowerment to the individuals, to the remnant, if you like, of the church of the last days comes in a time when there is great apostasy, when there is a backsliding amongst the people of God. And those times, that's when this uniqueness, it is a unique ministry. And I believe God wants it for his people that is raised up. For example, we go through some examples. If you go back over into 1 Samuel chapter 3, we've read it often, but uh, we know that it's in the midst of decline that this, that the heart of God is imparted to men, to women, to young people. We have a heart for God who want to stand for the Lord. This is the greatest moment in history. This is the greatest time for God to be in the kingdom and here we see at this time there was a great decline. We know with Eli, the sons, the, the, the backsliding, everything was happening. The vision was gone. And in 1 Samuel 3 and 3 it says, And ere the lamp of the Lord went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, Samuel was laid down to sleep. That the Lord called Samuel and he answered and said, Here am I. This happened not in a time of spiritual renewal or revival. It took place in a time of apostasy and backsliding amongst Israel. And it was when Samuel, who was born supernaturally, there was an intercession of Hannah, there was a prayer, there was a birth, and then there was a call and there was an equipment by the Lord. I want to tell you this morning that God is, if you can hear it, that that voice is speaking to lives and calling a Samuel people. It's a decline. It's an apostasy. There's a backsliding on a scale that we haven't seen amongst the people of God. There is a lukewarmness. There isn't, brothers and sisters, the spirit of intercession and fervency and earnest prayer amongst the people of God. We need that mantle, if you like, to fall on God's people. Can I say it? If you're offended by that, I want to say it then personally. I need the mantle of intercession, earnest and effectual prayer to fall on me. I know that in the depths of this, there is a desire, but we need the power of the Holy Ghost to come and to, to, to come upon us and the groanings of God and the intercession of the Spirit of God and, and, and the earnest prayer and the fervency, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 
And there is an indifference to prayer. There's a coldness in prayer. There's a wrestling in prayer. I'm sure you've felt it, you know, for a few days I've been seeking the Lord, but it's been a wrestling in that place of prayer. There's a, there is a wrestle that's taken place. We need the mantle. We have experienced that mantle. We have experienced the times when, not even at a time when we felt that we were in any great position, but just in God's mercy and His grace, that the mantle of God has come upon us as a people, and the intercession of the Spirit of God has grasped our hearts, and then we're lifted by God into a place of deep intercession and tears and the presence of God, and one minute you're in the prayer meeting, and it seems like time has gone, and three hours later you're still praying. You've been caught up by God and the mantle of the Holy Ghost has come upon the people of God and we begin to intercede at this throne. There is no weeping between the porch and the altar. There are no tears for a world that's in chaos. There is no tears, friends, for a world that doesn't know where to turn and all its arrogancy and all its pride and all its beating of its chest and what they're going to do. My God, we need mercy. We need the mercy of God for our nation, but yet we're coming out with more great ideas. We haven't recognized that we've offended a holy God. We haven't recognized that God's offended. No one's concerned that God's grieved. Nobody. I haven't heard one politician stand and say we've offended God. Even the leading party that claims to stand for religious freedom. And friends, that stand for Christian values. And stand for traditional marriage. And stand for life. It's the same party that has allowed the introduction of laws to come into our land. And we're not sorry. We're not moved. God is offended. God's grieved. God's grieved. And in times like this, it's a unique time. In times like this, God is not looking superstars. In times like this, God's looking men and women and young people that are going to get down on their knees and say, God, lay hold of us. There's a call. There's a Samuel call. There's a voice. If you can hear it, I know it's hard because there's a million voices. There's a million ideas, but there's a Samuel call. Samuel! Do you hear his voice? Do you hear it in all the turmoil and the confusion? Do you hear in the moments of crisis and backsliding and apostasy and death and darkness? And sin abounding. Do you hear a voice? Because I want to tell you, he's speaking. It was the same, of course, with the prophet Isaiah. If you turn over into that great book and you see and work through those first few chapters and you see the judgments of God are falling, you see the woes of God in chapter 5. God is beginning to speak and God's beginning to deal with a nation that's turned, turned away from God. You see it if you read it when you get home, but in chapter 5 we see the great judgments and the woes, the woes and the woes and the woes. 
God's grieved and the judgment of God is coming upon the nation. No one's concerned. There's a man called Isaiah. And it tells us even in chapter 6 as you turn over. At that time then God begins to bring revelation. And he says in the year that King Isaiah died. And he says I also saw the Lord. He's seen him. And he was high and he was lifted up and his tree and filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. Twain covered his face, twain covered his feet. And with twain did he fly. And one cried to another and said, <clears throat> Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. And then said I, Woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. A revelation of Jesus Christ. A revelation of His awesome holiness. A, a revelation of His glory. And His might. Know what it will do, friends? It will bring us right on our faces. He recognizes his inabilities. He recognizes his inadequacies. He recognizes his own sin. He recognizes, you see, in that call that comes, he's not looking for great men, and he's not looking for mighty men, and he's not looking for great and knowledgeable men. He's looking for hearts that are willing to break and say, God, God, I, I, I know, Lord, I need your touch. Lord, I am not worthy. Lord, I'm inadequate, but you're everything. He says, I'm a man of un I'm undone, I'm unclean. But thank God there's a touch of God. There's an equipping in the call. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from with the tongs of the altar, and he laid it on his mouth, and he said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity, thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. And I heard the voice. I want to ask you, are you hearing his voice? He heard the voice of the Lord and said, Whom? Whom? Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And after that touch, Isaiah could say, Then said I, Here am I, Lord, send me. Do you know Isaiah? His ministry was under probably the most wicked king that has ever lived. His name's Manasseh. It is Manasseh that most scholars believe that Isaiah suffered martyrdom. In Hebrews 11 and 37, it tells us that they were sawn asunder. It is believed that King Manasseh was the very one that ordered that Isaiah would be cut in half. You see, it's a ministry that's not popular. It's a ministry that will be rejected. And it's a ministry that won't, you won't be invited to too many pulpits. You might actually struggle to get the one. It's a ministry, it's a voice, but friends, it's the voice of God. A prophet is very simply a man or a woman who's going to speak under the inspiration of God, the forewarning and the foretelling right from the throne of God. He's going to have God's heart. He's going to have what God feels. 
He's going to experience what God feels. He's going to grieve like God grieves. He's going to be broken when God is broken. Do you know that God is broken? Do you know that the Holy Ghost is grieved? Does anybody actually know that? What happens with this prophecy or this? It's not a ministry. It's not that you're running around appointing prophets. It's not like that. It's the Spirit of God coming upon a people with a heart after God that want to feel His heart, that want to have His word, that want to have His passion, but their passion's for Him first. What happened with these old men? The Bible tells us in 2 Peter 1, 21, that old, these holy men of God speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I tell you, brothers and sisters, do we not need the Holy Ghost to move us? Are we in need? Are we in need of a Holy Ghost move? This man that I want to talk about this morning, another prophet, will be speaking about it over the next number of weeks, I believe. But Jeremiah would prophesy during the reign of five kings. His ministry began at a time that it was relatively all well. Everything's fine. It was actually, he was born under Josiah, one of the notable great kings who'd done that which was right in the sight of the Lord. But Jeremiah was going to be called into a time, not when it was all well, but when it was all going wrong. The judgment of God was about to fall upon Israel. Jeremiah was going to be a key figure, an unpopular figure, of course. They put him in prison. They put him in stocks. They rejected him. Other prophets prophesied against him and all the, all the rest of it. But he was the instrument of the Lord at that time. See, ministry, this ministry is going to cost us something going to cost you know there were many that believed there was even chief rulers that believed in John 12 you can read it when you go back but chief rulers believed on him but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue Jesus says this is the reason for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God ministries become Really about the praise of men. God's looking people that are interested in the praise of God. Judgment's falling. The reason why I'm saying it, because judgment's fallen on this nation. The judgment of God is coming upon this day. I'm not talking about the final wrath of God. I'm talking about the chastisement of God upon this land. In Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 3, this is what it says. The clouds be full of rain. They empty themselves upon the earth. Then listen to this. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. Tim, what do you mean? What happens when God brings judgment on a nation is this. He pronounces the judgment. And it's like putting an axe to the tree for it to fall. And that tree then begins to come down. 
And there's nothing that's going to stop that tree falling, whether it's going to fall in the north or whether it's going to fall in the south. But that tree is beginning to fall. Can I tell you that's what's happening right now? The judgment, the chastisement of God is upon our nation. The tree has fallen. The tree is coming down. The judgment of God, the wrath of God, not the wrath as in the final wrath, but the chastisement of God is coming upon us. And in that time, in that particular time, God begins to bring forth, like he did of old times, and like he did in the New Testament times, he brings forth a prophetic ministry for men to turn back to God. The reason our nation is being turned into hell is because we forgot God. And so the tree's fallen. Most of the people around us don't even know. Most of the people don't really care. Sadly, even within the church, people aren't really interested. It doesn't move them that God is chastising the nation and God's judgment is coming upon this nation, upon the United Kingdom and Ireland. We think we're going to be all right, Jack. But the judgment of God is coming. Actually, the judgment of God is here. If you turn in the book of Jeremiah, I want to show you a couple of things that the Lord has just shown me over these days. Remember, Jeremiah was a key figure at the time of the apostasy of Israel, ultimately being carried away into Babylon. These are all very important because they speak and they are types of the day that we're living in. Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, the system, the rise of Nebuchadnezzar, the coming of that Antichrist kingdom, a new system that's going to be brought in that is already happening currently. That's not conspiracy theories. That's God's word. It says in verse 3, in Jeremiah 1 and 3, It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah. What you note there is, Josiah was a good king. There was revival under Josiah. It only took two generations before it was plummeted into death and destruction. It doesn't take very long. And it says, unto the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. And then it says, this is the Jeremiah, unto the carrying away of, away of Jerusalem captive. There was a ministry that was about to be used of God at a time when Israel were going to be carried away. Do you know, friend, so many in the nominal church today are being carried away with the spirit of Antichrist. You see, why was this happening? Have you ever asked the question, Lord, what are you saying? Why, why are these things happening? Why is it taking place? I think they're good questions. Israel's sin was horrific. And God was grieved. Their backsliding, their acts that grieved the Lord, the one that delivered them, gave them the promises, brought them out of Egypt, he finds them engrossed in the most awful of sin. God knows what's happening. It's not even just the sin of our leaders. It's the sins that have swept over our nation. It's the, it's the sins that have captured 
that have caused so many young men to be ensnared in every type of sin, and young women. It is the power of the net to catch men and women, destroy ministries, destroy churches, and largely on the front of it, it doesn't look that way, but friends, the depths of gross sin that is in the church. I'm not saying this in a, con- in a condemnation way. I'm saying we got to understand and recognize why we're plummeting and why we're powerless and why we're weak and why the, the judgment of God has fallen. The net has overtaken many a home, many a family, many a young man with the calling of God and his life and the purpose of God. Many an older man with the call of God. and the, Many a young woman and an older woman that have got the call of God. And the net, you're caught in the net. And the devil ensnares us. He's come to steal, to kill, and destroy. And he's destroying lives. He's destroying minds. He's destroying marriages. He's destroying homes. He's destroying the church. He's destroying people. But on the outward... It seems fine, but God knows the heart of man. He knows my heart. He knows your heart. He knows where we are. He knows what we're in. He knows the struggles and the battles. He knows. The enemy is waging a, a dirty war. Undercover in secrecy and darkness. He's, he's waging a war against young men and women to destroy the calling of God in their life. Listen to me. Listen, young people. Listen, older people. Listen to us all. Take heed lest any of us should fall. It'll never touch me. I tell you, friend, listen to me. There is a life, and there's a life to the full, and it's in Christ. And the devil's a liar. And so we've been exposed to the most gross sin. That's destroying so many lives. It's Friends, we don't know. We, there's the tip of the iceberg. We don't look, but God knows it. And so we're sinking. It's like we're on the Titanic. Some of you might be on first class, enjoying all the pleasures of life and saying, this is great. Some might be second class, not doing too bad. Middle class, middle of the road, everything's fine. Some of you might feel you're third class. But friends, it's hit the iceberg and the tree's beginning to fall. God's still speaking. God's still wooing. God's still looking. God's still longing. God's still coming. God's still merciful. God's still loving. God's still pleading. God's still weeping. He still said, come. The devil says, keep it quiet. The devil says, keep it contained. The devil says, you'll make it. The devil says, you can do it in your own strength. I'm here to tell you, you'll never do it in your own strength. Every one of us can stand here today. It's not I, but Christ. It's Christ who lives in me. It's by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. I gave himself for me. And my victory's not in my strength. My victory's in Jesus. The devil says, no. He aborts the calling of God. Oh, but I'm okay because nobody knows. And I can keep doing. I'm going to tell you, friend. He'll strip you like Samson. He'll poke out your eyes. He'll have you grinding. It's an awful existence. That's not the life that God has for you. 
But he's subtle. He's clever. He's been around a long time. And he's taken an awful lot of great men down. And who of us in this room would stand today and say, not me? And so the nation is plummeting deeper in personal sin, in public sin, grieving the God of heaven and earth. And now they're sinking. The times of Manasseh, as Jeremiah as a minister, a prophet at that time, Manasseh was one of the most wicked men that ever walked this earth. It tells us in 2 Kings 21 that he made his son to pass through the fire. There were sacrifices of children. That's horrifying, isn't it? Are you horrified with the sacrifice of children? Babies being sacrificed? They observed the times, the enchantments. They were involved in all type of spiritual witchcraft and wizards. There's every type of thing. It's not be long now, I'm sure, that they'll stick up all their posters around Balnehenge. You go and get your fortune told by some spiritualist, some witch. But sure, it's all a good, good joke, isn't it? It's funny. The middle of the road people. Even people who go to church will give it a go and see what happens. Want to talk to my great, great, great granny? Familiar spirits, witchcraft, demonic activity. Oh, Tim, you're a wee bit extreme. Friends, I I don't think I'm extreme at all. All the images, the graven image of the grove he made in the house of which was dedicated to the house of God, and he put in the, the graven images, and the, oh, that must be the Roman Catholic Church. I want to tell you, friends, the evangelical church is filled with idolatry. We're just a bit more respectable about it. Respectability. Friends, I want to tell you, it's the cloak of deceit. In Manasseh, the Lord speaks in 2 Kings 21 and says in verse 11, Because Manasseh, the king of Judah, done these abominations, done wickedly above all that the Amorites did, which were before him, and hath made Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah, and whosoever heareth of it, both his ears shall tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria, the plummet of the house of Ahab, And this is what it says, And I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. It's powerful. Next time you're doing the dishes, that's exactly what it was like. He just wiped the plate and sat it there. God was so merciful. God sent prophets. God sent preachers. God sent his word in the midst of a of a congregation that pleading in the heart of God to come, to turn, to turn away from your respectability, to turn away from your outward, to turn away, cry out to God, there's mercy with God, but they wouldn't turn. Their trust and their confidence was in themselves. Their trust and their confidence was in their respectability. Their trust and their confidence was how they looked and how they sounded, but yet their hearts were so far from God. So he says, I will forsake the remnant of mine inheritance, deliver them into the hand of their enemies. No man said this, how great are the mercies of God and how terrible are his judgments. How great are the mercies of God, but how terrible 
are his judgments. Paul writes and says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways are past finding out. You turn in the second Kings chapter 24, you're going to see at the time when Jeremiah then is going to be called and his ministry is going to function. And I'm saying this this morning because I believe that is the ministry that's going to function in the day in which we're living in. God's going to judge. The tree's been cut. It's now fallen. Second Kings 24 says, In the days of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, now he is a shadow and a type of the Antichrist and the Babylonian system that we're facing now. Not to come, but it's here. And he says, In the, in the days when Jehoiakim became a servant three years, and he turned and rebelled against him, and the Lord sent him against him bonds of the Chaldees, bonds of the Syrians, bonds of the Moabites, bonds of the children of Ammon, and sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by his servants, the prophets. God would reveal nothing but through his prophets. He would speak through them. And surely at the commandment of the Lord came this upon Judah to remove them out of his sight. And look what it says there. For the sins of what? For the sins of Manasseh. Two or three generations before that. For his sins. Even though he himself cried on death row for repentance. But yet his sins had so marred the land. It says in verse 4. And also, what does it say? Would you read this out loud for me? And also for the innocent blood that he shed. The judgment fell. The Bible says what a man sows, that shall he also reap. The psalmist says these words, the Lord, verse 16 of Psalm 9, the Lord is known. Listen, the Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. The nation that forgets God, what happens to it? It's turned into, what's that word? It's not a popular word in church, hell. Do you know what that word means? It means Hades or it's simply the place of the dead. The nation that forgets God will be turned into the place of the dead. Everything's fine. Hopefully after the new year, may not get Christmas, but see next year, do you hear it? By spring, everything's going to be okay. I'm here to tell you everything's not going to be okay by spring. Will you see Christmas 2021? That's how people are thinking. The nation that forgets God is turned into the place of the dead. Turn the world will be turned into... I tell you what's happening, friends. I tell you what's taking place. I tell you what should grieve us. I tell you through the shedding of innocent blood why we should be concerned for the sins of Manasseh or the sins that are being committed in our nation today. But no one really is concerned. Not no one, but largely, you understand what I'm saying? I know you are, but I'm saying that largely no one is really that concerned. This morning was up early praying 
waiting before the Lord. Listen to all just the just a wrestling, just a wrestling, just unsettled, seeking the Lord, just a just a real, oh God. Then I thought, God, it's about time we had a funeral service. You can have one, by the way. We need to have a funeral service. We need a bit of coffin at the front of the church. We need to dress in black. We need to get our funeral suits out. Everyone's got the funeral suit, the funeral tie, the funeral socks, the funeral shoes. We need to get our funeral suit out. Do you know what we need to do? We need to mourn. We need to have a funeral service for 719 babies that have been aborted in this country from the 31st of March until today. We need to have a funeral service. We need to mourn that our nation, that our leaders, that our executive, that the Democratic Unionist Party, that Sinn Féin, that the SDLP, that the Ulster Unionists, that our health service, and there's many wonderful people working in, and many wonderful believers, that our health service at their hands has aborted 719 babies. We need to have a funeral. We need to have a funeral for the thousands of people that have taken their lives. We need a bit of coffin at the front of a church and mourn and weep. Why? Because like the church at Sardis, and the Lord came and said, I know thy works, that you have an aim, that you're alive, but you're dead. We need to have a service for it. Have you heard... Have you heard one leading politician? And I'm certainly wanting to be corrected. And I would pray, and we do pray for them. But have you heard our first minister or our deputy first minister, whatever names they want to give themselves, and we need to pray for those in leadership? I agree with that. But have you heard anybody say, we need to turn to God? Have you heard one? I've heard all the stuff. I've heard them churning out everything that they want. But I've never heard one saying, God, we need to turn. I've never heard one of them say, I wonder with someone, even the church, would you pray for us? Would you pray for our nation? No, nothing. You haven't heard it locally. I think you have less of an opportunity to hear it in the mainland. And you're not hearing it down in the south either. No one standing up and saying, we're sorry. Nobody. Do you know the sad thing is? I haven't heard it in the church. We have leaders of denominations, big denominations coming out in their droves. And I haven't heard them saying, I've heard them say many things, what we should be doing, what we're going to do and everything else. But I haven't heard them say, do you know it would be a good idea to get on our knees and begin to seek God and pray? Haven't heard it. Haven't heard it. 
Thank God there's a remnant. Thank God there's ministers that I speak to similar like ourselves, independent, but saying, oh God, we need mercy. We need to get on our knees. We need to seek God. But there isn't even... There isn't even the mantle of intercession and fervency and earnest and effectual prayer. It's not there. Seven hundred and nineteen little lives. Seven hundred. Now that's accurate figures. Seven hundred. And 19. There's no dashboard. There's no awareness. It took Jim Allister to request this information for that information to be given. 719. You might think this morning, Tim, I'm telling you, friend, the shedding of innocent blood is an abomination to God. The judgment is coming quick. Don't think it's years down the line. We claim to be the Bible built of Western Europe. Some people do anyway. The tragedy of all of that is this, friends. Listen, the tragedy of all of that is this. We certainly do have an outward form that many nations don't have. We have an outward form but we have denied the power thereof. And that's why we're watching the church capitulate in the face of an antichrist system that's sweeping the nations. Could I tell you something about 719 wee lives? Sorry to labor the point. Some people might be uncomfortable, but I think we need to be uncomfortable. Not one of those wee lives has God missed. He knows each one of them. Every single one of those wee lives, God knows. They're precious. Who's the giver of life? When a man takes a life, that's murder. Shedding of innocent blood. 719 lives. Perhaps there was a John. Perhaps there was an Esther. Perhaps there was a future prime minister that had a heart for God. Perhaps there was a Sunday school teacher. Perhaps there was a a missionary. Perhaps there was a worship leader. Perhaps there was a preacher. Perhaps there was was a man or a wee woman that was going to work in Tesco stacking shells, but they were going to shine for Jesus. 719 lives taken. Taken by the health board. Let's call them a fetus. No, we won't. Let's call them a ball of cells. No, we won't. Let's call them something that doesn't make this world uncomfortable. I want to tell you what it was and what it is. It's a baby. We have held a 19-week-old baby out of Nikki's womb in her hands. It's a baby. It's a baby. It's a life. It has arms. It has legs. It has a body. It has features. 
Let me tell you something, friends. It's a baby. And so judgment begins to fall. In the midst of the decline, listen carefully, in the midst of the decline, there's a voice that comes. There's a voice that begins to speak. Can I tell you something about this prophetic voice? It's not the type of voice that you're hearing in the name of prophecy today. It's not the health, the wealth, and you're going to have a nice car, a nice home, and everything's going to be great. It's not, it's not, it's not. That's not prophecy. It's not from the Lord. It's man's flesh speaking to each other to make each other feel good. It comes from the heart of God. It comes from the throne of God. It comes at a time to bring the groan, listen, the groan of the Spirit. Takes us into a deeper place with God. There's a groaning in the Spirit. There's the heart of God. It has the passion and the grieving of the Spirit. And it brings the voice, brings conviction of sin and righteousness and the judgment to come. Now God's calling What voice are you listening to? God's calling. There's a uniqueness in the call. It comes not at a time of ascendancy, but a time of descendancy, of darkness, of apostasy. There's a prophetic call that that comes for men and women and young people to stand up, not in their strength, but to say, Oh God, I want to stand for you. I want to stand in the university. I want to stand in the classrooms. I want to stand in the streets. I want to stand in my home. I want to stand in my workplace. Not not in my own strength or with my own ability, but I want to stand for Jesus. I want you to give me your words. You see, there's a prophetic cure. That's the blood of Jesus Christ. There's a way back to God from the dark past of sin. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked way, then I will hear from heaven and pray, and then I will hear from heaven, and I will come and I will heal their land. But the mantle that's needed of prayer hasn't fallen. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? The depth that is what's needed. Because, friends, how I know that is, We're indifferent to prayer. We're indifferent to prayer. We pray, but we're indifferent to the great drawn of God to come to pray, to seek God. That's raining, it's too cold, too tired, matches on, want to do this, want to do that. Friends, that's what we are. The tree's fallen. Nebuchadnezzar's coming. The Babylonian system is being put in place right now. Listen, right now, it's being put in place. What is the tragedy in that? Well, the government are going with it. They are largely puppets. I don't say that disrespectfully, but they are. They themselves are not the Antichrist. They're just maneuvered about by this system. 
That's why we pray for them. Even if they're making wrong decisions, we pray for them. But there's no repentance. There's a voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Repent ye. But there's no repentance. There's no repentance in Stormont. There's no repentance in the church. There's no repentance in the homes. There's no repentance. We're saying, God, we have grieved you. But the spirit of Antichrist is coming. This is the judgment of God. The tree has fallen. The system is here. And what do we have to say in the midst of all of that? What do we say? What word do we have for people? Do we just talk like them? Do we speak the same language as what they speak? Are we caught up in all the system and saying all the same things that they do? Do we have a word in season? Do we have a hope? Do we have an answer? It seems to be that currently nothing will awaken the church. Seems to be fast asleep. In spirit of prayer and intercession, we need to say, God, send it this way. What happens in times like this? Listen carefully. What happens in times like this? This is what happens. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Closing in two minutes, five minutes. Jeremiah 1 and verse 5. This is what happens in times like this. I pray that your ear and your heart is opened. Not the ears on your head, but your heart. Because I believe this is God calling a people this morning. Not just individuals, a people. Jeremiah 1 and 5, this is what the Lord says. Listen to these words. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. I tell you, friend, as Brother Clendenin used to say, it's at times like this, you need to take off your shoes, you're on holy ground, because we'd never be able to grasp what that is. Before, listen, my mother's here. She birthed me 47 years ago. But the Bible says, before I formed thee in the belly, amazing, I knew you. And before thou comest forth, listen, listen carefully, before you came out of the womb, listen, God knew you. You see it? You see it? See when Christians today, so-called, are now pro-abortion, Listen, believers, the church, people in the church are now saying they're for this. Before you come out of the womb, I've sanctified thee. God, listen carefully, every young person in this room, and every individual, listen carefully. God has a purpose for your life. No, we, we say that. I don't mean that in a cliche way. I mean that in a biblical. God's got a plan for your life. Do you know, for me, that's the most exciting. I look at young Anna sitting here. Anna, God's got a plan for your wee life. I see we, we Jacob there a few weeks ago. He was swinging from, from that middle bar. He got the Holy... He was, I was the Holy Ghost because you couldn't dance like that. But he danced like that. And I look down at these young ones and I say, God's got a plan for that boy's life. I see we Beulah staggering up there this morning. I'm wanting a hug nearly from every man down the middle row. But I tell you something, friend... God has a plan for that life. God's got a plan for your life. 
listen, young people, you might even be in your early 20s and saying, I have no clue what I'm doing or where I'm going or what I'm about. I want to tell you something this morning. Reese, God's got a plan for your life, son. You might be sitting here and and you look over your life so far and it's absolutely shipwreck. It's messed up. You've messed up. Your life's been just a whole life of wreck and ruin, brokenness, not knowing where to turn, death, destruction, hopeless. I want to tell you this morning, God's got a plan for your life. Amazing. Mark, it's amazing. God's got a plan for your life. You've ruined it. You've sinned. You've done everything. But God stepped into my life. Praise the Lord. He's got a plan. What a plan God has. What a plan he has for your life. He says, I've ordained you. Here's Jeremiah. He have ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. And then what often do we say before we leave the sanctuary? Before we get through the double doors? Before we say the last amen? And everyone said amen to the, he's got a plan. But see, before the meeting's over, then what do you say? Oh, Lord, not me. You've already stripped the purposes and the faith of God from your life because already you're already putting yourself down. You're already speaking against yourself. Your thoughts are already going, no, no, it couldn't be me because I'm too young. And somebody's saying this morning, I'm too old. And somebody's saying this morning, but I couldn't preach. And somebody's saying, but I haven't got any exams. And somebody's saying, I have no money. And somebody says, but you don't know how I feel. I'm so weak and inadequate in myself. I want to tell you, friends, this morning, that's all true. But it's not you and it's not me. It's God. God's got the plan for your life. You hearing it? Oh, but Lord, I can see Jeremiah. I can see some of you this morning saying the same thing. Oh, but Lord, I'm, I'm too young. What's God got for me? I'm too, me? Oh, we lowly me. I'm too, you know, when to listen to me, I want to tell you, and God puts his Holy Spirit upon you, Anna. I want to tell you something. God will open ears. God will give you a voice in your classroom. God will give you a voice in your neighborhood. God will give you a voice in your family. God will give you a voice in the street corners of Ballygarn and Balnehench and beyond if we're willing to say, it's not I, but Christ that lives in me. But I'm too young. You can hear the prophet. But it's all apostasy. It's death. How could I stand? I want to tell you something, friend. What God needs is someone to come with the Spirit of Christ on them. He doesn't want them to come. You know, I've listened to a lot of things. But I want to tell you, we have an answer for people who are homosexuals. And it's not a big stick. It's the love of Jesus Christ. Listen, do you not think they know they're already in hell and going to hell? Do you not think they're already tormented? As Nicky talked to that big lad the other night, he thinks he's a girl, dressed as a girl. What does he need to hear? He needs to hear there's a way out of all of this. He needs to know there's an answer. Not that there's a prison door slammed in his face. Such were some of you, but we've been washed this morning in the blood of Jesus. We've been delivered. If all our sins and our lives were put up on that wall this morning, every one of us would be on the deck, wouldn't we? 
If mine alone were up there, friends, I'd run out the door with shame. But he has taken away my shame. I'm washed in that blood this morning. And we have an answer. We have an answer. We're trying to mimic years ago of what it was. God doesn't want us to copy years ago. He wants a fresh anointing and the power of the Holy Ghost and a gospel that sets men free. Friends, it's tragedy. What's happening? Tragedy, what's happening? We have to bring the message of hope, the message of love, the message that there's a way out of this pit. And that's Jesus Christ. Jeremiah says, but I'm too young. I'm a child. I know what the Lord said. Would you stop speaking over yourself? See, by your words you're condemned. By your words you're justified. What you say, words are a powerful thing. How many people know that? Oh, I tell you. What you say have a powerful effect on people's lives. Really? Really? You tell someone their whole life they're no good and they're useless. Do you know what they actually believe when they're 18, 19? That's exactly what they believe. You tell someone, sure, you never do that. Who do you think you are? You know all this stuff that goes on? That's all from the pit, friend. Mm -hmm. But you want to know what? It has a powerful effect on people. It does. But I'm not that type of character. I'm stronger you may not be that type of character, but there is some people with that type of character that it destroys them. Yes. No, but I'm secure, safe. I know exactly who I am. But friends, that's not the body. The body's not all the same. The body's different. There's weak, they're strong, and they're all needed. Absolutely essential. The wee fingers is as important as the whole arm. The Lord says, don't say that. Don't speak that over your life. Don't say that you could never be that. If I hear people saying, I could never do that. I could never stand there. Don't say that. I could never be me. I could never go on a, on a missionary journey. I could never be a mission. I could never be a son. I could never preach. I could never sing. Well, most everybody believes they can sing. I mean, I think I can sing. Until Nikki tells me she was on crash and says, you want to hear what you were like this morning. <laughs> I know it's tough down the crash, but when I sing, it's even worse. But I'm gifted to sing, whether you like it or not, and I'm going to sing. It's all let me down there. It was a bit rough on me. I reject all that. <laughs> the Lord says, say not, I'm a child, for thou shalt go to all that I send thee, and this is the key, and whatsoever I command thee, that's what you will speak. Do you see it, friends? Whatsoever he says you have to say, that's what you have to say. You know what the problem is today? I tell you what I was thinking. I think it's a big good idea. God's done with good ideas. I, we and I need to hear what is God saying and what does he want us to say? What does he want us to say? He said, listen, Jeremiah, don't be afraid of their faces for I am going to be with thee and I will deliver thee, saith 
the Lord. And here's the key. Here's the key. Verse 9. Then the Lord put forth his hand and he touched my mouth. Think about that. I tell you, friends, that takes away all fear, all apprehension, everything of anxiety, everything about you. It's just when he puts forth his hand and he touches you. I close with this this morning. Are you hearing his voice? Are you hearing his heart? Are you seeing the judgment? Are you broken? Do you feel the grieving of the spirit? But do you hear, you feel the grieving, but do you hear the wooing and sense the wooing of God saying, I'm calling you. I want to touch your mouth. I want to touch your life. I want you to be a prophetic voice for me. I want you to be my voice. I want you to stand for me, but we can't do it without his touch. Do you need his touch? Do we need his touch? Can't do it. Friend, we can't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own strength. The arm of flesh is being exposed. It won't keep us. We're not going to get through on Saul's armor. We're not going to make it by just trying to push on. But we need the power of God. God's going to touch those who hear his voice. Like Samuel say, God, I'm only a wee fella. I'm going to believe you. Like Jeremiah is going to say, Lord, I'm only a child. King Nebuchadnezzar is going to be coming, the Antichrist and everything else. But Lord, if you touch me, I'll go wherever you send me and I'll speak whatever you tell me to say. That's what God's looking. Has he found a man or a woman here this morning that hears his voice and is saying, here am I, I'm going to send. I don't know what all that means, Lord, but whatever it takes, whatever price, I'm willing to stand for you. God's got a plan for you, friend. Are you willing to make that stand? Let's pray together this morning.